thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 92. And uh, this episode is about a very controversial topic and one that we really need to deal with as believers in Jesus, and that is racial prejudice and the way um, our stereotypes get in the way even of the great harvest that the Lord has called us to do. And so today we're, we're going to be dealing with that. Last week we started it, and the topic last week was just to see how important prayer was in the uh, expansion of Christianity. That uh, the, the whole story from Acts chapter 10 involves the prayer life of Cornelius, a Gentile who's not been reached yet. And the prayer life of Peter, uh, the great apostle, the one that Jesus left in charge of his community and called to be the, the senior leader when he left. And so in this passage, you know, God is going to deal with the leader because that's how it ought to happen. He's going to deal with the leader about the way he thinks. And, you know, there were many things that Jesus tried to instill in his disciples and he just couldn't get them to see it. He couldn't get them to think it. And so he said to them, talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, he said, I have a lot of things I want to say to you. I'm trying to teach you things. But the Holy Spirit will continue this work and he will do this work inside of you. And thank God the Holy Spirit is at work in you and he is at work in me and he continues to challenge our small thinking and he continues to open up our mind. And today we want to ask the Lord to open up our mind to help us take a good look at distinctions between people and how how we're holding on to some of that. Uh, some of these distinctions are about who has money, who does not, uh, about skin color, and more than just the color of a person's skin. It's the whole culture that goes with that race and the, the habits of that race and and maybe our experience with people from that race, or even our whole race's experience with people from that race. And you know, a lot of these things that we we might not even be aware have affected us, they came to us through the stories that we were told as children. You know, I have a I have a friend I met in Africa when we went there for me to get video school training at Media Village. And this young man uh, was from Rwanda. And he said, you know, I, I knew this story of the Rwandan genocide and how the Hutu tribe killed the Tutsi tribe. And he said, you know, I remember the day that my, my uncles gathered in the front yard and they all had their long knives with them, their machete. And I wondered why they were there. And then they walked over to my neighbor's house, my playmate. And the whole family ran from them and ran up a tree. And they stood under the tree and they talked to them for hours until one person came down from the tree and they killed them quickly. And then the others just followed one at a time until they had killed the whole family. And he said, you know, the thing is, uh, we didn't even know what tribes any of us were. We had uh, the government mandated that we had an ID card and we had to go find out what tribe we came from. And that's how a lot of us even knew what tribe it was. But 
you know, the Hutus killed the Tutsis, and he said the reason was that the Tutsis had killed the Hutus a hundred years ago. He said no one who was alive had ever suffered under those people. It was our great-grandparents' generation, and the hatred was kept alive from the stories our grandparents told us so that that, that flame of hatred could be fanned up and come back to bring that much bloodshed in just a week in that nation's history. Well, you know, uh, true Christians would not participate in something like that, but we have, I mean, I've had people say things to me even in missions. Uh, I, I remember being uh, at an, an ignorant place in the U.S., and uh, a guy coming up to me uh, after church, and he said, your black people are not like our black people, are they? Now, we were living in Jamaica then, and I was just, you know, I was just stunned that you could think that thought and go to church every week and that nothing in your discipleship ever challenged that thinking. Um, Mark Twain said the church is always at the end of every parade. You know, we wait until uh, other forces create things like emancipation of slavery and then we rise up and we join the parade at the very, very end after it's all safe and the whole world has already decided they're moving in a new generation. And, you know, Jesus called us to be agents of change, to be the people who start the agitation for change. And in truth, there were, you know, the heart of the civil rights movement, if you really look at who was involved, almost all those people were Christians. And it was out of these convictions, you know, as we get back in touch with Jesus, he challenges a lot of things that you know, we might we might hold to and not even know how we got that belief. Well, that's the situation with Peter. I mean, Peter uh, is is not portrayed as a cruel man. He's a good guy. He's just an average guy. He's a common working man. He's been a fisherman all his life, and he's trying to be a good Jew. He's from a region of Israel that that does have Gentiles come through it. And they have some exchange. The, the town that Jesus was from was right on a caravan route. And so he was used to seeing people from all different nations uh, walking right, you know, perhaps right through his town. So he grew up in uh, not such a cosmopolitan little, you know, city because it really was just a town. But he, he did have chances to interact with Gentiles. And we said last week, um, I mean, in the last episode of Thread, that uh, the Jewish history of having relationship with non-Jewish people uh, was was negative. Uh, they took on the sinful traits of their Gentile friends, and because of that, it was always a, it always turned bad for them to be part with Gentiles because ultimately they fell into sexual sin, and the worst of all to God was idolatry that they um, committed, as it were, adultery against Him by worshiping gods of stone and wood. And most of these gods are actually fertility gods. And so sexual immorality was linked to that worship. And, you know, God looked down on his people and said, you are committing adultery not just against each other and not just against your wedding vow, but against me. You are my people. I'm like your husband. And uh, so the Jewish response was no Gentiles. We just... They're evil people. They're bad for us. We are staying away. There's Jewish people, and then there's evil people. And we're just not going to get near Gentiles. And now Jesus has told his followers, 
that he has sheep in all the other folds, you know, not just Jews, but that his gospel is a gospel for all people all over the world. But their mental filter has filtered that out. He told them, go to every nation of the world and preach the gospel. And they haven't done it. Really, they haven't done it a bit. You know, they've they are staying among themselves. They've created a Jewish, entirely Jewish um, Christian community. Well, uh, the way this story starts, Peter is waiting for lunch to be served. We're in Acts chapter 10, and I'll just read it to you very quickly, the part that we want. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 10. Peter became very hungry. He wanted to eat, but while they were making it ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it, were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And after uh, Peter sat there pondering, he woke up and he pondered this experience he's had wrestling with God who's telling him to eat, eat foods that Jews are not allowed to eat. And Peter's saying, no, they're filthy foods. And God is saying, not anymore. I have cleansed all things. I've cleansed all people. Stop that mindset. And uh, verse 19 says, while Peter thought about the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Remember last week we said Cornelius sent a delegation to get Peter because an angel told him to. Verse 20. Arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And about that time there's a knock at the gate. And that's where our story turns. These men are knocking and Peter has been told by God, do not doubt. Don't overthink this. Don't use your old mind. I sent these people to you. I sent them. I have cleansed them. Now, he, he has no idea who he's going to see. When he opens the door, it's not three Jewish Christians or three Jewish seekers. It's Gentiles. You know, one's a soldier and a Roman soldier. And Peter looks at them and says, I'm I'm the one you're seeking. Why are you here? And they said, verse 22 of chapter 10, Cornelius the centurion. He's a just man. He's one who fears God. He has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. He was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear the words from you. And so Peter, verse 23, in an amazing first step, defiles the house of Simon, where he's staying. He invites these Gentiles into the house. They eat food together, and the Gentiles sleep there because it's an eight-hour walk. And on the next day, Peter went with them, and he took some brothers from Joppa. Well, the brothers are Jewish brothers uh, because this is very uncomfortable uh, to him. You know, Christians seem to either be the most loving and accepting people in the world or some of the most racially and class biased people in the world. And I've seen both. You know, our, our worship is segregated. It's, it's uh, 
it's very common to have black churches that are all black, Korean churches that are all Korean, white churches that are all white. I love to go into a mixed up church where, uh, you know, thank God, this generation of young people, they're the most colorblind that the world's ever produced. But, you know, it's it's still there because there there are things that as people groups live among each other, there are things that are really different among us. And sometimes those things are very negative. Uh, There are either there are business practices that are not uh, fair or there is a history of violence as we deal with one group or one group will in the end stand together as a group, even if their group is wrong and they will support each other instead of, you know, just standing by principles. So we end up with these situations where we've got male, female, now the whole big sex war as females have taken more and more top management male jobs and that tension's uh, heating up around the world. We've always had the rich and the poor. You know, Christianity is supposed to be an example to the world. It's supposed to be uh, the group that has dealt with this more than anybody because we understand that the gospel says everyone is included. God has built a rainbow family from all over the all over the world. All the nations are welcomed into his family and it wouldn't be a family without all the nations and that we must work hard to include those people who are not like ourselves and that they become a special uh, target of mission, that those who are the farthest from God, those who are the most different, those who are locked outside of uh, the gospel, they have to be brought in. And that's really, uh, it's a big issue in in missions because uh, the gospel flows along familial and cultural lines. That's how people are connected. So, for example, in the 1990s, a huge move of God happened in the Philippines. And so uh, Filipinos started to know the God that they had been going to mass, you know, to say prayers to. Uh, But now they were actually getting to know him and know the Bible and their lives are being changed. And this whole new experience, they called it the born again movement. And I mean, millions of people got swept up in it. There were healings and people were set free and it was glorious. We were there for that and it was wonderful. And then you could trace it and then there became uh, explosions of church growth in Muslim nations like Dubai, even Saudi Arabia and um, at the point of death. But if you looked into those countries, it wasn't that uh, Arabs were coming to Christ or that Saudis were coming to Christ. It was Filipinos who were in Dubai, Filipinos in Brunei, Filipinos in Arab Emirates, and I want to give a shout out to all the Filipinos who listen to this podcast. I love you guys. Uh, Filipinos, because of the natural relationships that they had with their their cousins and their friends who were living abroad, uh, and actually some of the Filipinos would even go abroad to those Muslim countries at the risk of their life, and some of them lost their lives, were beheaded, for the gospel's sake, and they would go to their brothers in that land and they would share the gospel with them. And so churches you know, were springing up in the same revival movement that was happening back in Manila was following Filipinos around the world and wherever they lived in pockets in Europe or in the Arab world where they're used 
uh, for labor uh, and for, you know for uh, healthcare workers and oil field workers. You know the uh, the gospel was finding them because it works through relationships. Now then the the next leap is for Filipinos in those countries to now turn and share it with their Muslim employers. Um, and that's where things get a lot harder because those employers have literally the power of life and death over their employees in many cases. And so you had to really think about it. But there's some beautiful stories of where uh, Filipinos have done just that. I mean, the the number one missionaries in Israel, and Israel is one of the hardest places in the world. But I talked to a man who has spent his whole life uh, in Israel and Lebanon, and he said the best missionaries I have ever seen for Israel uh, are not Americans because there's too much politics and too much um, kind of in-your-face evangelism. So the best missionaries in Israel are Filipina uh, caregivers who are hired by Jewish families to take care of their elderly mom. And those girls love their mother so much, and it wins the whole spirit of the family. And then when that family is going through some kind of a problem, uh, the Filipina will speak up at that point and say, I know Jesus, and he changed me, and I want to pray for you. Is that okay? And uh, he said, I've seen so much good fruit come from the missionary work of Filipino caregivers. So, you know, that's what God has to get us to do is that we see outside of our comfortable circle. And the, the heart of our comfort is our ethnic group. It's the exact people that we look like and belong to. And if we can stretch ourselves and and see people beyond ourselves, God can use us. But you know, it's easy to practice that wherever you're living. Uh, most of our listeners come from the U.S. for this podcast, about 65%. We have a big group in China, too. God bless you guys. Uh, they're laboring in China. But, you know, as a, it's easy to just ask the Lord, open my eyes and let me see other nations. Help me to see other people. Maybe the group that's the total opposite of your group and maybe the group that your group has suffered under. You know, for example, uh, Japan in World War II, um, they were, it was, the soldiers, Japanese soldiers were extremely cruel in every country that they were able to conquer. And the Filipinos suffered, again, under Japanese um, aggression. And there are just so many horror stories. And in the old generation, a lot of Filipinos really had something in their heart about Japanese people. They, they were angry against them. They hated them for what they had done. But I was there also to see the new generation come up that said, we need to take the gospel to those people that have hurt us because it's the only way to heal them so they won't be like that again. And it's the only way to heal our own heart as a nation now, the Jews had been hurt by Gentiles, and they were letting their past hurt keep them from evangelizing them, just like Jonah. Jonah's like such a beautiful uh, racial missionary stereotype story, you know, because here's Jonah, and he looks at this nation that's rising in power, and he says, I will not evangelize them. God says, I want you to go to them. I want you to stand in the streets, and God empowers him with such 
a strong, uh, convicting word from God, and the nation is shaken by his ministry, and he just does not want to see those people saved, you know. He's just hard against them. So, uh, and that's what's happened, you know, to the Jews. And then I, but like I said, I've seen Filipinos go to Japan as missionaries. And that's the kind of spirit God's calling us to have. Now, there's a curious note from church history and from world history. And that is those people groups that Christians dislike and fear, like Jonah, and those groups that we refuse to evangelize, we see them rising up, we see their strength. We see their power, like these days, uh, radical Islam is rising up. Well, we had better pray for Muslims, and we had better make friends of Muslims, and we had better reach out to them in love and evangelize them, because history says uh, those that you refuse to evangelize will one day conquer your people, and they will sack your nation. But in doing so, they become exposed to the gospel. It goes inside of them and takes root, and then they eventually become changed by the gospel, and then the cycle repeats itself again. The Jews refused to take the gospel to the Romans. Uh, the Romans destroyed uh, basically the whole nation of Israel, tore down the temple, but the gospel went with Jews, <laughs> from Jews, into the heart of Rome and established itself. And Rome became you know, the center of global Christianity for the next 2,000 years. The Romans refused to evangelize the barbarians. So the barbarians sacked Rome, but they didn't burn churches. And they, something about the gospel appealed to them and got inside their heart. And the barbarians became believers and so on and so on and so on. So let's search our hearts and identify which people groups we reject and which people groups we avoid. And maybe these groups have hurt your group before. Let's just admit that to God. Let's forgive them. And let's begin to pray for those groups. Is there a kind of person, is there a race of, of people that you really don't like seeing around? Ask God to do something with your heart and to help you meet somebody from that group. Get your eyes open. The Lord's going to help you do that. Start sharing food with them. Spend time with them. And let the Lord uh, give us his own attitude and his own spirit. Because God, just like he did with Peter, God will create a circumstance to give you a door to interact with them for his glory. That's how the kingdom grows, by breaking down barriers. And in our next episode, we're going to follow this, this story further because it changes everything about the history of global Christianity. is about to swing in a wide new turn uh, with these three men knocking on the door and Peter's decision to go with Gentiles and to speak the gospel to Gentile people officially as the very first time it's been done in Christianity. Well, that's all for now. If you need to talk to me about anything, just send me an email, chuck at quinley.com. See you next time for more on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to quinley.com. 